Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning. Welcome to cold and flu season. Anybody hacking or coughing? And it's okay. It's a, it's a natural human response. It just it comes this time of year. And uh, so don't, don't be embarrassed or afraid to just praise the Lord in your cough and sneezing. It's okay. And uh, we'll encourage you. We'll celebrate you. And thank God for you. Hey, um, today is, I know some of you grow tired of me saying this, but today's a little different around here um, in what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, this is a Sunday that we have set aside. We actually set, set it aside two Sundays ago, but um, my body didn't want to participate that weekend, so it, uh, it went on strike. And so I didn't get to bring what we call the state of the church message that we do pretty much every year in some way or other. And so we moved it to this week. And this, this year is going to be a bit different. If you were here for last year's, uh, last year we had, um, we were very objective in some of the things that we shared uh, because in the fall of uh, earlier in October of 2018 we had done a pretty intensive survey of you uh, the body of Christ known as River Bluff, our congregation, using a tool called the Transformational Church uh, Assessment Tool. And it provided us some very detailed, clear information about our church at what we would call a micro level. Things you were thinking and, and things you were passionate about and struggles that you were facing spiritually. And uh, it, it, it was able to be kind of coalesced and uh, compiled into four very distinct groupings. And, uh, and some of you will remember we, we had what we, what we called our very first Great Soup Symposium. Does anybody remember the Great Soup Symposium of 2019? We kicked off the year last year with the Great Soup Symposium. And, and in, out of that, uh, teams were formed, group, work groups were formed, and some ministry initiatives were launched. And some ministries were, were, were kind of tweaked a, a bit during that. And so those micro-level uh, micro results moved... Uh, not only our church into some new things, but moved our elders to kind of step back and try to look at the macro level of our church. And so instead of, we, we had good information on the micro, but we needed to step back and take kind of a 30,000 foot view. And so what I share today with you is kind of the, the outworkings of that. The, the elders have been working through, praying through, wrestling through over the past, past year that we've been doing together. And so this year's message is going to be much more subjective than last year's message. But my prayer is, is that at the end of our time together, you will kind of leave seeing the 30,000 foot view as, as we see it, as we believe the Lord has revealed it to us for, for River Bluff Church, and that what you would do is what we have already done, and that is to recommit ourselves to the sacrificial work that these insights reveal we must do as a church in order for the gospel of Jesus to, to go forward, first of all, in us, and then in our, in our homes and families for it to advance uh, in our community, our neighborhoods, uh, and then globally. So I want to I want to start this message by bringing our elders up on stage, and I want to start by bringing Tim Vianu. Tim, if if you would make your way up here, brother. Tim um, is our elder rotating off, and so this is like his last official elder responsibility before he takes a bit of a hiatus. Welcome, Tim, to the stage, if you would. Yeah. 
Tim had the distinct sorrow, maybe? I don't know. Um, Tim was the first elder uh, elected to fill the, the, that new role after I came on as lead pastor. And so he was kind of the sacrificial lamb that got thrown under the bus to, you know, to hang out with me. And, and I'm, I'm joking about that. Tim has been in my life. Uh, I believe I can speak for the other guys in all of our lives. He's been uh, a great advocate, a great challenge. Tim has not been um, fearful in any way to kick me in the butt when I needed a... My, my, he did it in a spirit of gentleness, trust me. Um, but he always managed to do it. I knew my butt had been kicked when, when, when it, by the time he got done. I'll put it that way. And, um, but he's also been one of my greatest encouragers. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Those first five years were uh, interesting, as you well know. And so I, I thank you for that. And Tim has served you in sacrificial ways that you'll never know until you get to heaven. Uh, behind the scenes, loving on you guys and, and, and creating pathways and, uh, for, for the gospel to, to find more traction in your lives. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I think all of our team members, uh, elder team members, would also echo that. And I've asked him to do this. He's going to pray for our team. Uh, but I'm, uh, Dennis, Dennis guy, come up here. Dennis is the, the guy that's rotating on now, taking uh, Tim's seat at the table. And Dennis has served as an elder. Yeah, welcome, Dennis. Tim. Dennis has served before, so he absolutely knows what he's getting into, um, and he has agreed again to serve a five-year five-year term as an elder here at River Bluff. And I'm going to ask the rest of the team if you would come on come on up. Um, Terry Watkins and uh, what was the Cockhill guy's name behind? <laughs> David Bladen, and uh, we're just we're grateful. I'm grateful personally for for these men. Um, they serve you and and me in incredible ways. And uh, so I, I, I want you to know this is Scott Cockhill, David Blayton, Terry Watkins, and you've already met these two gentlemen. Um, Jimmy Sanders woke up with a fever and we forbade him from getting on the stage near us. So no, we didn't do that. He just said, I, I woke up sick. I probably shouldn't come. And uh, so we wouldn't even sit out there with y'all, among y'all. So uh, pray for Jimmy and, and his recovery. Uh, but these, these are the men who uh, have been, I believe, sovereign, sovereignly appointed by God to give leadership. And we're, we function as a plurality of leaders. Not one of us has a more important vote when we're making decisions than the other. Uh, we serve that way. And it is a privilege for me to serve with these guys because they love you. They love Jesus and they, uh, they're, uh, they're humble men who, who really seek to carry out the will of God and, and try to hear his voice for us as a people. So I, I pray that you regularly pray for these guys by name. Um, as you can look and see, they need it really. No, I'm kidding. They, they, I mean, we do. We, we, we earnestly covet your prayers and need them. And so I've asked Tim because he understands what it's like to, to be an elder here. If he would lead just a time, lead you in praying for your elders uh, th this coming year uh, to be the men that God's called us to be, if you would. Before we, we pray for the elders, I'd just like to, to lift up... Uh, Stephen Heldman and uh, his wife Denise, they, he was found this morning unconscious and is now at, at Trident Hospital. So let's just pray for him for a minute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up Stephen, and we know you are the great physician. Yes, God. Lord, we, we know all healing starts with you and ends with you, Lord, and we, we just come before you now, and we petition you on behalf of our brother Stephen that you would, you would bring healing into his life, Lord. Yes, God. And, and we know that what, whatever the doctors find or the doctors see or what the doctors do, it all depends on you, Lord, and we just ask that you'd intervene in a mighty way, yes. that you would be glorified. In, in this, Lord, and that you would be with Denise, that you would give her peace and comfort, and she would feel your loving arms wrapped around her as she goes through this trying time. Lord, we ask this all in, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And as I get ready to, to pray for my brothers here, I just want you to know how, these men, their heart breaks for this church and, and breaks for you and uh, they pray earnestly for, you, for your, for your well-being and I just ask that you join me now. Uh, Father, pour out your blessings on your church, providing resources for all that you would have us do, providing for the physical and spiritual needs of the heirs to your kingdom. Let us commit our time, talents, treasure, and testimonies to accomplishing your work, Father. As the Apostle Paul declared, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. As Titus 1.5. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing us with direction for an oversight of our congregation. As these men accept the incredible responsibility of guiding your flock and assisting Pastor Joe in bearing the burden of leadership, renew your spirit within them, we pray. Draw them into a closer relationship with you, Lord, granting them an extra measure of discernment, wisdom, and courage to accomplish all that you would put before them to do. Yes, God. Put a hedge of protection around them and their families. Protect their marriages and their hearts against the attacks of the evil one that are sure to come as they move in your power, Lord. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we submit to these that you have placed into positions of leadership here at River Bluff. Holy Spirit, convict us when we stumble into disunity. Let us grow closer to each other as we grow closer each day to you, Lord. Father, I pray that through these men, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank, you. Thank you, Tim. Brother. Thank you, brother. I told you that we are, uh, we're going to be thinking today about, about River Bluff Church, but we cannot, I believe, think about our local church without thinking about Jesus' vision for the church. And so I want to take us to a, a, a passage of scripture that, uh, that, that Jesus uh, interacted with and some things that he, he said uh, about the church. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. You can open them, swipe there, whatever you need to do, open them. Just uh, real quickly, well, I'll come back to that. Let me, let me read it to you. 
Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he, being Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to that him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus took his disciples to this area uh, known as Caesarea Philippi. It's about 120 miles north of the capital city of Jerusalem. It's about as far as you could go and still be in what is known uh, as Palestine. It's about like uh, the distance from here to uh, the capital in Colombia, give or take a, a mile or two. But the region, that th this is the important part, that region was known uh, for being uh, identified with lots of religions. So it wasn't just Jewish, uh, it didn't have a heritage, it, it was known for lots of different religious activity. It had actually been the center at one time of the worship of Baal. I've been there uh, to, that, to that region and carved into the mountains are shrines to the god Pan, the Greek god Pan, literally carved there. Herod the Great built a temple uh, in, in Caesarea Philippi to honor the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus as a god. That's what he was trying to do there. And so it was in the middle of all of this, this superstitious stronghold, if you would, that Peter confessed Jesus as the Son of God. And it was also here that Jesus made a surprise announcement. His disciples had been waiting and longing for the day that he would establish the, his kingdom and kick out the Romans. And they were, they, they'd been hoping for that. But Jesus didn't announce the coming of his kingdom. Jesus announced the building of his church. And he said that his church would be a confessing community. Jesus announced the birth and building of his church upon this confession of who he is. Now throughout the New Testament, uh, we see this, this confession of who Jesus is. It is basic to salvation. It is basic to being made right with God. His person, the person of Jesus, and the work that he does in salvation go together. They can never be separated. And so we see Peter's great confession. It was made in the context of this discussion of who is Jesus. Who does the world say that Jesus is? And Jesus says that he's going to build his church. But he's not going to build it on public opinion. He's not going to build it on who everybody's saying he is. He was going to build it on this, this confession. See, the world tries to get its spiritual knowledge by taking polls. Jesus, Jesus isn't into polls. See, the, the important thing is not what other people say about Jesus. The important thing is, is who do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? See, the, the decisions of the crowd can go right or wrong, but it can never substitute for what you personally say about Jesus. See, ultimately, when you stand before God, God is not going to ask you, what's everybody else say about me? God, God is not going to do that. He's not going to ask that question. When you stand before God, God is going to look at you and say, who, who'd you say Jesus is? 
What, what did you do with my son Jesus? Did you personally declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Did you personally believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And did you surrender your life to him as he revealed himself as God in the flesh? And see, Peter had. And Peter said, yes, you are the Christ. I believe it in my heart. You're the, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus Christ is the foundation on which the church is built. The Old Testament prophets said that he would be. Jesus himself declared that he was. Peter is now confessing it. The other disciples would eventually confess it. Later, the apostle Paul would come and he would state that the foundation for the church is Jesus Christ. See, this foundation was laid by the apostles and the prophets and all who confessed and proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, at the end of his announcement about this church, this confessing church, has a very clear teaching. In verse 18, we read it. It said, on this rock, on this foundation of a confessing church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I like the way the New American Standard Version and a lot of other versions translate this verse. It says this, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And that's actually a more accurate translation. See, Hades is the realm of the dead. Gates in the Bible represent authority and power. Now, re remember these were Jewish men that Jesus was with that day in, in Caesarea Philippi. And in, in the Jewish mindset, a city gate was kind of like our city hall. It was where kind of government businesses and transactions would often take place. In, in the Old Testament, when we read through the Old Testament, often we see transactions, business transactions, governmental transactions taking place in the city gates. And now Jesus is saying that the gates of Hades would not prevail against his church. And so that symbolizes the organized power of death and Satan. Jesus is saying that by his death and resurrection, he would conquer both of those so that death would in no way have authority or power over his church, over the people of God. In fact, he's saying his church would storm the gates. His church would set captives free. That, that would be the power of his church, would be the message of the good news that he came bringing. And his church, River Bluff Church, is called by him to a certain mission. And if we're going to be his church, we've got to realize that he has the right to command us. He has the right to, to direct us. And so I want to show you a four-minute video that I believe that really captures the essence of what that calling of Jesus to be his church looks like. Watch this if you would. disciple means we're learning to be like Jesus, growing in his character while learning to do the things he could do, developing his competencies. It's about character and competency. To do this, we increasingly pattern our life after the life of Jesus. So one of the questions we have to ask is how Jesus would pattern his life if he had your job, if he had your personality type, your family situation lived where you lived or made the same amount of money that you make. When we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see emerge is a particular way of relating to the world around him. He is very intentional in how he used his time to invest in certain kinds of relationships. 
It's the pattern of his whole life and ministry. Put another way, Jesus had three great loves that his entire life oriented around. In Mark 9, 2 through 29, we see Jesus go up a mountain to pray. But this wasn't abnormal for Jesus, was it? Throughout his life, he was constantly getting away from the crowds and everyone else to spend time with his first love, attending to the upward dimension of his life, his relationship with his father. We then see him come down the mountain and run straight into the people he's investing his life into, his disciples. Jesus was never ambiguous about who his spiritual family was. In attending to the inward dimension of his life, Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with just his spiritual family and no one else. But then he steps out into the full brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from a troubled boy. Jesus attends to the outward dimension by dealing with sin head on. He's concerned with how sin affects individuals, how each person is separated from God because of their sin and doomed because of it. And he's concerned that when you get a bunch of sinful people together, they create systems of sin and injustice. Sin creates individual problems and communal problems. Jesus stepped out and brought hope to both. Three great loves. He was deeply connected to his father. He was constantly investing in those his father had given him to disciple and to be spiritual family with. And he entered into the brokenness of the world with good news and asked for a response individually and communally. To be disciples of Jesus, we pattern our life in the same way that Jesus did, up, in, and out. Most people are naturally good at one. They're okay at a second, and they're fairly bad at a third. But rather than simply playing to our strengths, we commit to be learners. The invitation of Jesus is to pattern our life after his, to learn his ways, and to let his power be made perfect in our weakness. But we also recognize that because a collection of Christians is the body of Jesus, we want the full expression of Jesus, not just parts of it, so that these three dimensions saturate community life as well. Whether it's a group of eight people or a group of 8,000, when a group of people is committed to truly being the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins stoking the fires of a red-hot center by which people can't help but be drawn into the warmth of. When we have a spiritual family learning to live into up, in, and out in a communal way, people the Lord has prepared can't help but be drawn in because this community is the gospel made visible. Now about, well, it was in 2012 actually, God clarified River Bluff's vision. I found that video about eight months ago. And so uh, what I'm about to read to you and what I hope many of you already are familiar with is the vision that God gave River Bluff Church did not come from that video. Uh, we've had, this is our vision for, for, for years now, but I just want to remind us all of the vision that God gave us. And it's this, that we would become a community of disciples of Jesus who live three-dimensional lives in relationship to God up, in relationship with the other believers in, and relationally engaging the lost and hurting world out. We believe that that is God's preferred future for his church known as River Bluff. It's, it's what we're to become. 
It's what he's calling us to look like. Now that's, that's, that's his vision for us. It's who, if you would, it answers the question of who would God call us to become. And if we're going to be a, a, a gates of Hades defying kind of church, a prevailing church, we've got to live out his vision for this church. But God didn't just leave us with the, the, the who. He gave us his what. And that's, that's a purpose. God clarified. He gave us a, a, a clear purpose statement for his church. And it, it flows out of some of the last words that he gave his disciples before he descended, ascended into heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, you're familiar with it, but I want to read it to you. Jesus said this. He came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus' command here was go. Go was his, his, great, his great commission. It is his mission to his church. And if we're going to be this gates of Hades defying church, a prevailing church, we've got to stay on this mission with God that is go. Can you bring the next slide up? This is, this is the great commission, the great mission that God has given us. And our mission statement as a church flows right out of that. That river. I, I, some of you think that the main entrance to our church is this side door over here. That's not the main entrance to our church. Our main entrance is in our atrium. And if you walk in those doors, you're going to see prominently displayed on the wall in front of you a great big globe and above that globe is our mission statement or below that globe is our mission statement that says River Bluff Church exists to, to make disciples who make disciples who change the world. That's our mission. We are to go make disciples. Now, historically, unfortunately, historically there have been times when the church deviated from the mission of go. And fell into the slump of, hey, y'all come. And what we, and, and what we said was, if, if y'all will come, then we'll disciple you. Jesus did not say, get them to y'all come and make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That was his great commission, his great mission. So River Bluff, we've adopted a strategy that helps us think clearly about what that going looks like. And here's what it is. That we've got to go and give every man, woman, and child multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus where they live, work, and play without ever having to come or go anywhere. We're the ones that have to do the going. That's what our mission, that's what our what tangibly looks like. So we know what the who is and we know what the what is. We must become this, this vision of God's church and we must do, we must, must go. So how do we do it? How, how do we accomplish that? Well, the first half of that I believe is found in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus gives us what become, has become known as the great commandment. Jesus said this. He said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. Listen, people of God. The Lord our God is one. He's the only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is equally important. The second command is, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so we are, we've got to love. We've got to love God's people and we've got to love the lost world. And that's the great commandment is that we, we love. 
Back in 1992, Pastor Kurt took me with him to a conference being led by this unknown guy named Rick Warren. And he was. He was pretty much unknown at the time. But when we were there, Rick Warren said something that captured my imagination and heart. He said this, that a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will grow a great church. And I believe that. I believe that's the ingredients for growing a great church. But here's, here's where that stops short of the full measure of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing Rick Warren because he, he's gone the full measure uh, in leading the church where, where God has planted him. But see, growing a great church falls short of all of the vision that Jesus has. See, it's not about the church. It's about his kingdom. His kingdom has a church to accomplish his kingdom mission. Now, I'm absolutely still committed to the Great Commission. And I'm absolutely still committed to the Great Commandment. We are to do this. We are to go and we are to love. It should look like this. We need to, can you go to the next slide? We're to go love. That's what we're supposed to do as God's people. We're to go love. But I think there's something still missing from our equation. And we can read about this in John 17. Now, I, I know many people call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that goes, Our Father who art in heaven, how to be, you know, that prayer. I don't think, for me, that's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer. That's the, the, the teaching prayer of Jesus. The, the, the Lord's Prayer, for me, is found in John 17. Because in John 17, the Lord Jesus himself intimately pours his heart out to his Father in heaven. And here's part of what he said in the Lord's Prayer. John 17, we're going to start reading in verse 18. Jesus said this, Father, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them, his disciples, into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us, folks. I pray that they will all be one. Talking about us. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So that there will be this global impact. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world, global impact again, will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus is praying here that his followers would be so united, would be so deeply connected together, just like Jesus and his father would, that that connection would be so deep together in loving each other and in serving the world that it would, it would make a global difference. So here in, in John 17, in what I believe is the Lord's Prayer, we see something other great that Jesus longs for. And that is great collaboration. That we would do this love, we would do this go love, we do it together. That there is this, this collaborative heart of God. We know in, in, in Mark 1 and in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us instructions about, about his kingdom, about his kingdom coming. It's the message of the kingdom of God that it's near, that, that we have access to it. And Jesus' heart was that we would have a heart for that message to go forward. And we would be willing to do it together. And so I still believe... That in, in the great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. But I, I want to stretch that a little further. I believe this. A people with a great commitment to the great command, mission and the great commandment. Through a great collaboration will see a great movement of God. 
that if we will do this, if we will go love together, as we do that, as we go and love together in greater ways, in more sacrificial ways, we'll begin to see the kingdom mission of Jesus opening before our eyes. We'll begin to see the world transformed. And so what I want to do in the, the moments that I have left is I want, to, I want to point to four specific areas that the elders and I believe, when I say elders here, I'm including myself in that, believe that the Lord is calling us into uh, to strengthen or to initiate over the next five years. So we're calling this for us, this is Vision 2025, so that we would actually go love together the way that Jesus intended. That we would have this great commitment to the Great Commission and the great commandment, but that we would do it through a great collaboration in ever-increasing ways. So this is 30,000 feet, big picture kind of stuff, Vision 2025 for River Bluff. And the order that these come in, that we're going to talk about them, don't come in any particular priority or order of importance, but they're, they're all equally important and they're actually uh, tied together. And so I, I want to speak to, to these for just a few moments. The first area that we believe that we need to see a, a movement is in the development of a leadership pipeline. Of a leadership pipeline here at River Bluff. Now, this pipeline, we believe, would create a very clear path to move every member of River Bluff into ministry. Getting people into ministry is God's plan for, for every one uh, of his children. And, and that starts with you leading yourself. Leading yourself to get into uh, and, and engage in ministry. And then growing in your ministry to the point that maybe you could lead some others. And then moving as you've been growing and leading others to maybe actually leading a ministry. And then growing in that experience so that maybe eventually God might call you to lead a church or a movement. But th this is this, this plan. And if we're to go and love together, we've got to raise up more leaders in our church. More, more people who, who could one day maybe be church planters. Who could one day launch ministries out in our community. People who would go uh, overseas on mission with God. And so in these next five years, we're going we're gonna to work intentionally to raise up through development more leaders. More leaders that we can send out in, into the harvest. Now some of our staff have already been through some training on this. And we're going to get some, some more equipping and coaching on that in, in the coming year. And it's going to be something you're going to hear, hear more about. And we'll be piloting these in some of our ministries. But eventually we're going to design it so all of our ministries have, have this pipeline for leadership and development and training. So that we can, because our goal is multiplication. That, that's the goal is that, that, that we would multiply. Now, now, two weeks ago, some of you know this, some of you were there. It was a weekend training for our deacons and their wives about how to steward their influence. And Craig Tuck, who is the executive director for the Charleston Baptist Association, which is a, an association of seven, 70 local churches, Craig leads that movement and, and is passionate about it. Craig was one of the speakers at, our, um, at that training. I, that was the weekend I got sick. I didn't get to finish it out. And so when I called Craig, after I got better, I called Craig and talked to him about his experience. And he apologized to me. And he said, he said, Joe, in your absence, I took advantage of it and I challenged your deacons and their wives. And I said, okay, what did you challenge them to do? He said, well, it's kind of selfish because I challenged them to, be, to make River Bluff a model church of multiplication. 
That, they, that this church would be a, a model church of growing up, raising up leaders and sending them out into other churches to help, to encourage, to, to love, and to, to planting new churches. And we've got to do that. And as we've been examining and looking at ministries at River Bluff, there's, there's, there's one ministry in particular that, that God's kind of put on the heart of our elders. And, and we began praying and thinking. And uh, I, I know that the, the team leader of that ministry had been, been, been praying and thinking. And we all kind of came to the same conclusion. Some had to change. And it needed to change pretty quickly. And that's our watchman ministry. We started a watchman ministry when our culture started shifting because we didn't feel like our gatherings were always safe as they could be because of what's going on in our world. And so we began our watchman ministry. We just kind of started plugging people in, trying to get it covered. But we've come to understand through some prayer and some time together, um, Rick Gates, the team leader there, and he believes this to be true, that we can't just, we can't just plug people in. We need, we need people who are devoted to that ministry. Just like we need to raise up leaders who are devoted to every ministry. And so we're asking God to raise up from among you and the first service 20 people who will be devoted to keeping this place safe. To being eyes to keep this place safe. To being trained how to do that. And so I'm asking you to pray about it. Especially if you're not engaged in any ministry right now. Would you pray about being one of 20 uh, on a team to help, help secure our gatherings? And Rick will train you. You've got to be committed to go through training. But basically if we get 20 people, you only have to serve in one service once a month. One service once a month and, and, and go through regular, regular training. But that's just one ministry where we need to raise up leaders who are devoted to, to that unique calling. So I'm just going to ask you to pray about that. that. That maybe God would call you out to that. A second area where we know that we need to see movement is in, is in the area of growth. And so our elders, we've been praying about this and we're seeing movement in this in a unique way. Uh, we, we need a, a growth plan developed. And it is almost in place. Um, Cindy Shirley and Dean Enfinger have been working tirelessly to get, bring this thing online. And we have, they have been, I, I've been kind of along for the ride. They have been really working with a church, Northview Church, that's uh, many years ahead of the, the learning curve on this than we are. We've, they've been learning from them and being mentored by them to, to open the door to, to that for us here. And so right after Easter, we're going to launch uh, and, and introduce to you what we're calling the growth plan. And the growth plan is going to be a guide uh, that will uniquely grow, allow us to grow up with God in community together. It's going to be this uniquely designed, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual growth uh, process for you individually to be done in community. Because we've come to understand spiritual growth is not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Everybody has to run the race God has marked out for them. And so this, this spiritual growth plan is going to be uniquely personalized but applied in community, in, in, a, in a community of three-dimensional group, uh, group life. And and so since the release date on that is really just kind of around the corner, I'm not going into a lot of detail about that. If you've got more questions about that, we have a family meeting tonight at 545. 
And in that family meeting, we're going to conduct some business. We've got to vote on our budget and, and some other things. But you're going to be able to ask questions about all of these things. And I think Cindy or Cindy and Dean may be there. And you can ask them because they can give you intelligent answers. I'll just mumble and drool and make stuff up. Uh, they'll be able to answer your questions probably a little more fully. So I invite you to be here for that meeting tonight. Third area of focus is this for over the next five years is our elders believe God is calling River Bluff Church to move more money into missions. To get more money off out of ourselves and, and, and onto missions. And you know we've come to understand we're going to have to take several paths to do that. One of those paths is by helping people get, get out of debt and begin to save and to develop good stewardship habits and to develop hearts of generosity and sacrificial giving. And that, that, that's related to the growth plan because it's a discipleship issue. It's a, it's a growth issue. And our elders have already taken on personal responsibility to lead that initiative. They, they began last, last fall and are again doing this starting February the 9th to reactivate, to resurrect our financial peace ministry. They're, they're, they're taking point on this because they see the importance of that. And we're praying that every member of River Bluff will one day pass through th that, that journey of, of becoming financially free. And if you need help on that, uh, they're, they're there to help you. We also know that to eliminate uh, 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 or to get more money in missions, we've got to eliminate our debt. We're paying monthly to a bank. And we need to work the, over the next five years to get that paid off. To, to eliminate that debt. And that may take different pathways. We may have to be creative in how we go about doing that. And those will be decisions that we will make together a, as a church. But River Bluff needs to be positioned to respond when God moves. We need to be able to do that financially. And because God is, God is moving all around us. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, my father's at work all around you. And God's working. And every time God shows you where he's working, that's his invitation for you to join him in what he's doing. And I want to show you one of the ways we were able to do that because you had given generously to a special offering to minister to some of our troops in the desert. Can you roll that video, folks? Thompson. Several weeks ago, if not months ago, I had sent out a prayer request to my prayer warriors, your pastor being one of them. Pastor Joe had overheard that we had been praying for a baptismal pool, namely because we had a few men, a few soldiers that had accepted Christ, but we had no means of being able to put a baptismal pool together. They don't have the tools, the resources here to make something like that happen. And so Pastor Joe zipped me a text and said, Hey, Chaplain Dan, how would you like if we sent you a hot tub, which can be obviously used as a baptismal pool? That was the best news I could ever hear. Well, it was a long journey to get here. In fact, the week of, we only had two of the three boxes. And of course, I was getting nervous. But then I trusted the Lord and said, God, you will deliver in your perfect and good time. And he did. The baptismal pool came. We were able to put it all together and be able to make something really powerful happen. You see, Sunday night on December 22nd, 2019, we had an historic event. It was the first time in the history of Kabul, Afghanistan, if not this base here at the headquarters resolute, that we were able to have our first baptisms. But we could not have done it without your support and without your generosity. 
I am so grateful for your prayers and for your tremendous spiritual support. God bless you. Dan Thompson, yeah, praise God. Praise God for that. Dan Thompson, uh, the chaplain there, was, is a former member of River Bluff when he was stationed here in Charleston. And he, he is still, he's still running around on a high for what you guys did to, to, to help him make disciples of troops that are stationed in, in Kabul, Afghanistan. And, and see, God, God gives us invitations like these all the time. But sometimes we're not able to step into them because of, of financial resources. And God's word tells us that we are to, to give, we are to give back to him his tithe. And, and, and that passage of scripture in Malachi says, so that there will be enough. So that there will be enough to accomplish that all God is calling us into. And friends, if, if we're not doing that, we're gonna miss out. See, sometimes people mistakenly ask the wrong question about, about going with God. So often what you hear people ask is, what is it going to cost me to go with God? The right question is to ask, what is it going to cost me if I don't? If I don't go with God, what am I going to miss out on? And so to be, to be his people on mission with him, we've got to become great at this. Now, I will tell you, as, we're, as we were saying this to one another in our elders meeting, we were looking at our financial statements. And the truth is, this past, the past two years, our, our giving, our regular giving, has not kept pace with the needs around here. And we've been asking God, and we've gone to God and say, God, would you, would you meet our needs? And so, because of that, what we determined we had to do was we had to bring our budget in line with what, what God was resourcing. And so, we had to make some cuts. And we had to, uh, your, uh, the staff here had to take a 5% cut this year. Uh, for 2020. Other ministries have had to take some cuts. We, we had to significantly cut back on the resources that we were giving to Pastor Kurt for the kingdom coaching ministry that he did. Now, I believe this and our elders believe this. God is always going to provide for the needs of his people. And we believe we're going to see that we already are. Because uh, this past week I found out that the Charleston Baptist Association is going to pick up what we can no longer support in that ministry, they're going to pick up because they have seen the value of it being displayed in the churches locally. And they said, we believe in this ministry and we want to help. So they're bringing him kind of, he's going to be partnering with the, the association and with us in, in that role of being a kingdom coach. Because you had that dream, you had that vision, you saw that coming. God, God's going to provide. And we'll talk about all of that, that more tonight. The fourth area of focus is in Vision 2025 is this. And it's saturate our AOA with the gospel of Jesus. It's the saturation of our area of accountability with the gospel of Jesus. And this is really about, not just locally, but about evangelism across the board. It's raising the temperature of evangelism. Now, right, right back there is an image, and you can't see it good back there, so it's going to come up on the screen. But this is a map of our area of accountability. And four years ago, our elders sought the Lord. We got challenged along with the 70 other churches in the Charleston Baptist Association and some other churches. We got challenged to go before the Lord and say, God, we will take responsibility for the lostness in a certain part of our city. And as we prayed, the region that you see mapped out, marked out here, um, it contains about 14,000 people. 
That we are saying we are taking responsibility for lostness in. If you go east, it's, it's the Charleston-Dorchester County line. If you go south, it's the Charleston-Dorchester County line. If you go west, it's Ashley River. And if you go north, it's Eagle Creek. That's, those, those are our boundaries. I know some of you are saying, where's Eagle Creek? Look it up. You'll have fun with that. The, uh, but the, that, that's the area that we are saying as a church, as God's people, we're going to take responsibility for lostness. This is the geography that God has given us as a church. Now when you look at it, it's massive. We can't, we can't do that by ourselves. And so we're going to have to rely on, as we, we sow seeds of the gospel, we've got to do that collaboratively. Back to the John 17, the great collaboration. We've got to do that if we want to see this part of our city. But we're not going to stop there. We're going to collaborate even further in our city. And the goal is not only that we do it on a macro level, but we each individually adopt our own AOA our area of accountability uh, before the Lord. Maybe it's going to be your block. Maybe it'll be your street. Maybe it'll be your neighborhood. But the places where you live, work, and play that you would take greater responsibility for lostness in the city so that we can see a movement of God across our city. So we're going to work to collaborate. In fact, normally sitting right down here with his two daughters is Dave Harden. But Pastor Dave is at River Church over West Ashley right now helping them think about how to be more involved in global missions and more than likely how to come on board with us in the work that we're doing in Ecuador and Cuba. Because they're saying we need help knowing how to do this. And they've asked, they asked Dave to come over and help them think about being more engaged on a global mission scale. And those are other, just some of the ways that we can partner. We partnered with Destiny Church to do a, a, a mass food distribution a couple weeks ago. And, and God is going to raise up more of, of that. Those opportunities that we would go love together. Through that great collaboration. Now in order, if that's going to happen, there have got to be some things that happen in us first. And that's how I want to close today. And I'm going to do this quickly. The blanks are going to fly by. So if you want to fill those last five blanks in, you're going to have to write quick. Okay? Here they come. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, the Bible says this, The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. If we're going to see this vision lived out, we've got to have hearts that are fully committed to Him. And we've got to prepare those hearts in order to go with God, to be on mission with God when He reveals what He's doing so we can join Him. And the first thing that we must have, there are five things that we must have. The first one that we must have is we must have a clean life. We must have a clean life. Now friends, the first step to be used by God is always personal examination. When you find somebody being used by God in a great way in scripture or even in real life, one of the things you're going to find out from them is they have dealt with their personal sin. They have confessed it to God and most likely to confess it to some others. See, God, God uses all kinds of vessels, all shapes and sizes. He uses small vessels. He uses plain vessels. God uses broken vessels. Thank God for that. But God will not use an unclean vessel. He won't. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 23 to some, some church leaders of that day. These were to Pharisees. Jesus said, you've got to first clean the inside of the cup and then the whole cup will be clean. He was talking to them about usefulness in God's kingdom. We've got to have clean, clean hearts. Second thing that we've got to have is we've got to have open eyes. We, we've got to have open eyes. Now, one of the, one of the most misunderstood words, I think, in, in churches and actually in leadership is the word vision. 
Sometimes people think vision is about predicting the future. Friends, the only person who knows the future is God. Period. So if you want to get close to knowing what the future is like, you've got to hang out with God. You've got, you got to see things the way he sees them. So it's about getting in on what God is doing in the world where he has placed you. And if your vision isn't aligned with what God is doing, your life is going to be off course. King David said this in Psalm 105. He said, keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence. And I would add to that, then go with him. Go, go with God. Third thing that we've got to have, you've got to have a grateful heart. We've got to have a grateful heart as a church and as individual people in the church. See, God uses grateful people. One of, the, one of the beauties about thankfulness is thankful people and thankful churches endure longer because their focus for their provision is God. They're not keeping their eyes on themselves. And so they know that God is, is going to provide. So th th when they have problems, they know God's coming through. Did you know that doctors tell us, that, and they refer to gratitude as the healthiest human emotion because it has both physiological and psychological benefits. And so here's the deal. If you don't stay grateful, you will become cynical. You'll become cynical and it will poison your system. Paul said this in Romans 12, 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't lack in zeal. Don't, don't, don't lack in that. See, we need to constantly remind ourselves and one another of the privilege it is for us to serve Jesus. Never, never take for granted that what God is doing. Never take for granted the grace that God gives us through opportunities of serving Him. Fourth thing that we must have. We must have a certain purpose. You, you must understand clearly that God has a call on your life, a purpose in your life. I heard Rick Warren say this in that, in that same meeting and he wrote it down and put it in his book, The, the Purpose Driven Life. He says this, you were planned for God's pleasure, formed for God's family, created to become like Christ, shaped for service, and made for a mission. That's a purpose life. That's a life on purpose. That's, that's God's purposes for your life. Now wouldn't it be great if what the scripture said about King David and his whole life got said about you. I think this is a great tombstone. He served the purposes of God in his own time and then he died. He, some translations say he served the purposes of God in his generation and then he died. Would somebody get that? And then he died. That, that's, wouldn't, that would just be, that's, that's become one of my regular prayers. That I would serve the purposes of God in my generation. And then I just walk into the presence of Jesus. And that, that would be such a great testimony. Last thing that I want to give you is this, that we must have, if we're going to be on mission with God, the way he's calling us to as a church and his people, we must have our minds fixed on Jesus. We've got to have our minds fixed on Jesus. And what that means is we've got to, we've got, we've got to continuously meditate on God's word. We've got to meditate on passages like we, we looked deeply into a few weeks ago in Hebrews 12. It tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross and shame. Whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, the right hand, alongside God. See, God's purpose for our life and for our church will be greater than any problem we face. 
And so when, when it gets tough, what we've got to do is we've we got, we got to focus our thoughts on Jesus, not on our problems. We've we got to look at him, not, not around us. And so here's what I want to challenge you one more time to do. I challenged you this in the first message on perseverance uh, back in, in the first Sunday of January. And it's a four-word prayer. You remember what the four-word prayer was? I can't stop serving you. I won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. That that would be the prayer that you pray for our church. And that you and I would set out to be spiritually prepared to go with God by doing the five things we just talked about. And that we would surrender ourselves to follow God into the journey ahead. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we come in Jesus' name right now giving thanks. Giving thanks that you are a God who is on mission around us. You're working in us and you're working around us all the time. Jesus told us that was the truth about you. And God, we know that when you show us where you're working, that that's, that's your invitation for us to join you on your mission. And so God, you have been so gracious for so long to show River Bluff, to show this church where you're at work and how we can join you. And God, we believe there are others in our community looking at us believing that you're calling us to even more of that, to model that in the days ahead in ways we never have. And so I pray right now, God, that we would answer that call to be your people. Your people who go and love together with other churches in our city. But that we would all realize that that begins with our confession of Jesus. Our confession of who he is. And so maybe you're here today. And what you need to do is personally surrender to Jesus. To make him your Lord. Your Savior. That you personally would make that decision. And you can do that right where you're at. For most of us in this room today, however, I believe that it's a call to recommit ourselves to the purposes of God for our lives and for our church. So God, we come. We come recommitting ourselves to do those things that it would take, things we must do, must have in order to go with you, God. Clean hearts. We need to see with your vision, God. We need desperately, God, to keep our, our eyes fixed on Jesus, our minds fixed on Jesus. We, we need to follow him. And we need to surrender ourselves more fully once again to being your, yours. To River Bluff Church being your instrument, your church that you're the head of. And so we come to this moment in our service again, God. Answering your call, will we surrender? Will we surrender ourselves to your purposes, your pleasure for our lives, not our own purposes, but yours? Will we surrender this church to you fully in the days ahead? Will we make the sacrifices to go with you of our talent, time, and treasure? Will we be those people? We come now examining our own hearts. We come, God, bringing back to you that which is yours, your tithes, our offerings. We come, God, bringing ourselves now as we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. 
Now go change the world.